0: Well, Welcome everybody. Um, My name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors and I want to just take a moment to welcome anybody who's here for the first time. If you're a guest, maybe you're watching for the first time, just want to welcome you and thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, We've been in a series called What We Believe and we've been looking at scripture and looking at what we believe as Christians and last week we started this topic on what we believe about the Holy Spirit. And today, I hope to bring some clarity to a controversial topic regarding the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's the question, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What's the baptism of the Holy Spirit? So in 2010, my family, we, we got this email from a lady whose family used to attend uh, our old church, the church I grew up in, and it was the church I was attending at the time, and her name was Shirley. And Shirley uh, emailed and asked if we would all help vote for her son. Her son was a point guard for his college basketball team, and she said, Hey, he's second in the running for the collegiate point guard of the year. Can, can you spread the word and, and help vote for him? I don't remember her son. He was a baby when they left our church and moved up north. Um, but I figured, hey, let's, let's help the family out. So I, I sent the email out to all our college, our young adults, the English ministry at, at our church. And I said, hey, would you vote for this guy? And I pulled up the email this past week. This is my email in 2010 to our church. I said, hey, guys, can you vote for Jeremy Lynn? That's his name. Uh, his family used to go to our church. Thanks. And I sent them the link, the highlight reel. I said, vote for his name is Jeremy Lynn. No one knew who he was until 2012 and in february of 2012 out of nowhere all of a sudden everybody knew who jeremy lynn was why well because in february of 2012 jeremy lynn came off of the bench virtually playing no minutes at all to being this this unstoppable force that helped turn things around for the new york knicks before that time The Knicks were in last place. They had lost 11 of the last 13 games. And the coach of the Knicks was desperate. He had to do something different. Something has to change. And so they bring Jeremy Lin Lin off the bench. And for the next seven games, they win every game. The next uh, 10 out of 13, he brings the Knicks from dead last into the playoffs. And all of a sudden, people are talking about Lynn's sanity. And he wasn't just a talk of the town, not just a talk of Chinatown. He was a talk of the globe. He he wasn't just a legend for Asians or, or just a legend for Christians, but for people everywhere who love a good underdog story, who love to see a miraculous moment in sports. But what happened? February ended, and... So did Linsanity. And if you ever followed his career, you, you know that for the next seven seasons, Jeremy Lin had his struggles. He had injuries, different things happened. He played for six different teams over the next seven years. And that moment, that Linsanity moment, came and went. And I was thinking about in the past two weeks, even before preparing this message, I thought, what, what is it like to be so phenomenal, so powerful on the court, so outstanding for a moment? And if I were him, I know I'd be wondering, will I ever get that back? Will I ever be able to have that kind of performance again, or was that a one-time thing? You know, Pastor Dan last week brought us through the Old Testament. He did a great job of showing us how there were moments where the greatness and the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon people, but he would come and then he would go. He would come and then he would go. But then he showed us this prophecy in Joel chapter 2, a beautiful prophecy, where Joel prophesies that there will be a future day when God will pour out his Spirit upon his people. And no longer will the Holy Spirit of God come and go for a moment in time, but he is here to stay. The promised presence was going to be a permanent presence. And that prophecy in Joel was fulfilled in the New Testament on the day of Pentecost. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, but today, June 5th, is actually Pentecost Sunday. People celebrate today Pentecost Sunday. It's not something we've talked about much or celebrated much here at SBCC, but today this is God's timeliness. I don't know how he worked this out, but today I want to take us back to Pentecost and I want to show you what happened when people experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I, I really believe that if we understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we'll understand that greatness is not to come and go, but greatness is here to stay. So would you guys bow your heads, let's pray together, and let's ask the Holy Spirit to lead us into this truth about who he is, okay? So Father God, we uh, we bow our heads, and this is a posture that we take to really humbly ask that you would teach us, God. Lord, I know that a lot of people have different thoughts about this topic and opinions and Nobody has come here to to be convinced of what Greg has to say about it. God, we want to know what you have to say. And so I pray that you would unite us, that we would be a people under one God, taught by one spirit, because we belong to your one church. And so, Lord, give us unity by illuminating the truth and opening up our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, to understand this teaching about your Holy Spirit. Empower us, show us how you want us to think and how you want us to live. And so we'll give you this time. We'll give you our hearts and our minds. Teach us now, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is controversial because Christians have different thoughts, different perspectives. So there are some Christians who believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at conversion. So the moment you believe in Christ who died and rose from the grave for your sins and you believe that by faith, they say the Holy Spirit comes into your heart, comes upon your life, and you are now baptized in the Spirit. And then other Christians will say, no, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a secondary experience. That later on, after you've already believed in Christ, there'll be a moment later on in your life where the Holy Spirit will come and make himself known in some miraculous, supernatural way. In particular, you'll know when you start speaking in tongues. And so the question is, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What does God say? What does his word say? And so what I want to do is I want to take you to two instances the very two instances in the book of Acts where people were baptized by the Holy Spirit. And in these two instances, I'm going to show you the when, when it happened, and then I'm going to show you the why. Why have? It? In other words, I'm going to show you the instance, and then I'm going to show you the purpose behind the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So the first instance comes in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles or your apps, turn to Acts chapter 2. This is the day of Pentecost. And to give you just kind of a brief um, understanding of Pentecost, that word Pentecost means 50 in the Greek language. It just means 50. And it was the day 50 days after the Passover when people would gather and there would be a festival to celebrate 50 days past Passover. And for Christians, it also is 50 days after Christ was crucified because that happened at the same time. And here's what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Highlight that if you can. Mighty rushing wind. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. If you're taking notes, maybe you're filling it out in your app, write this down. I'm going to give you two things today. And the first is this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit provides believers with power to proclaim. The baptism of the Holy Spirit provides believers with power to proclaim. So it's here at Pentecost where God pours out his spirit and it says that people are baptized by the Spirit. Now, why that word baptized? Well, you have to understand that the word baptize means to be immersed, it means to be submerged in, to be completely covered with. That's why here at SBCC we baptize by immersion. That's what the word means. And so it's, it's figurative. When the Holy Spirit had come upon the people, they were being covered in His power, in His presence, He was filling them up completely. And so they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and immediately there at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, the people start speaking in tongues. Now, what, what, what do we mean by speaking in tongues? And this is kind of controversial in itself. Well, in the text, it literally says, which means other languages. So tongues and languages, synonymous. And some people will say, well, when you speak in tongues, that's an unknown, unintelligible foreign language like an angelic or heavenly language. And then some people say, no, speaking in tongues is when you speak a known foreign language that's not native to the speaker. So, for example, it's like me being an English speaker, speaking in German or Ghanese or in French, languages I've never learned, but all of a sudden I'm able to speak. They say that's what speaking in tongues is. And the reality is in the Bible you see evidence for both. You go to 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 13, and it talks about tongues of men and tongues of angels. But I just want to clarify that right here at Pentecost, we know for sure that it was a known foreign language, intelligible language. How do we know? Because Acts 2 says that there were people gathered from all different regions, gathered to celebrate that festival, and as the Jewish disciples started Proclaiming things from their mouth, people from different regions were able to understand in their regional dialects. So let me put up a diagram for you. Acts chapter 2 says there are people from all over, from Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Cappadocia, from Judea and Egypt and Arabia. They were all gathered, but when the disciples were speaking in languages and tongues, they all understood what they were saying. Right? So, so that's what's going on here in this passage. And people were like, this is so unusual that these Galileans know my language. But Peter describes it like this. He says, here's what's going on. In Acts chapter 2, verse 15, starting from there, it says, For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. That's 9 a.m. in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And so Peter now starts quoting the prophecy from Joel chapter 2. He says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And so Peter is quoting this this prophecy from hundreds of years prior to that moment. And he's saying this is the moment where God is giving us the promised presence of the Holy Spirit. And he is not here to come and then leave us. His promised presence is a permanent presence. It is being fulfilled here, right here in your presence on this day of Pentecost. And thus, in that moment, the church was birthed, made up of believers, spirit-filled believers in the name of Jesus. The church was born. So out of all the ways that the Holy Spirit could have come and make his presence known, I'm wondering, why the gift of tongues? Why have them speak in other languages? Well, obviously, the Holy Spirit wanted to come and make, make known that this is a supernatural moment. It had to be in a way to demonstrate supernatural power so that no one could say it's human ability, but something supernatural is going on, right? So I'm going to give you tongues that you don't normally speak. But if you want to be supernatural, why, why don't you just make the people levitate, and, and float and fly in the air, why not sprout wings out of them and f- make their faces shine green and put an oar around them? That's pretty supernatural. That's a little divine, right? No one would doubt that something's going on. Well, I believe that the gift of tongues was both a demonstration of supernatural power from the Spirit, but also super practical power, super purposeful power. In other words, the Holy Spirit is giving them something that's that's purposeful in helping them accomplish a purpose he's giving them. Remember one chapter earlier, you probably know this verse, but in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, just wait because the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Remember this? In verse 8, what does it say? I'll put it up for you. In verse 8, it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will levitate and float in the air and you'll get wings and your face will shine so people can see how awesome and super and spiritual you are. Right? No, it says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be what? My witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. I have a purpose for you. And so the Holy Spirit is going to come, and he is going to empower them. This is not about them coming off as spiritual. This is about the Holy Spirit empowering them to do a task. Now, the question is, how are these Galilean Jews supposed to go proclaim the gospel to people in lands who speak tongues and languages that we've never learned? Well, perhaps when the Holy Spirit empowers them to speak in other tongues of those other lands. And so I don't think the baptism of the Holy Spirit is supposed to be this weird, chaotic, disorderly thing going on where everybody's doing weird things and no one knows what's going on. No, it's very purposeful, and there's a, there's a specific reason why he gives them tongues. So now that you can go and be my witnesses. It's like the Holy Spirit saying, I've come to live in you and empower you and equip you for the task. I'm sending you out to be my witnesses. And so, one clear purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was to empower these underqualified, uneducated, untrained brothers in Galilee to go and proclaim the fame. Of Jesus to the world. A lot of times, as as Christians, we could get so caught up, right? And so obsessed with wanting this experience, this emotional experience when we come to church. Like we want to experience the the movement of the Holy Spirit. And maybe you've experienced something like that. Have you ever come to church and you're worshiping and the tears won't stop flowing? It's like tears are coming out and you're worshiping and you might even feel some shivers down your spine. Goosebumps is like, Boo! like that, that was the Holy Spirit. He's here. And then you, you hear the preacher preach and it's like, oh my gosh, how does he know my situation? It's like God is speaking right to me. I feel like there's no one in this room. Like God is speaking straight to me. Have you ever felt that before? And you walk out of service and you're like, the Holy Spirit was here. He moved. And you, you go home and you feel so high off of that, and you can't wait till the next week to go back to church and experience the Holy Spirit again. And you go back to SBCC, and uh, uh, Pastor Greg's speaking this week. And then you go to the service, and nothing Pastor Greg says really moves you. As it's like, well, that was average. Right? Like, Pastor Greg's message was eh, like it was overwhelming. And you walk out of there confused, and you're like, man, that was so bad. that was so average. And if that happens, I just want to say, it's not me, it's you. <laughs> you probably have sin in your life, okay? No, I'm just kidding. No, that happens. I get it. There's great weeks, and there's okay weeks. And I want to say, it's not bad to, to yearn for a movement of the Holy Spirit. We should all desire that. It's not bad. But, but, you know, Pastor Francis Chan, he made a suggestion. I think it's a good one. I want to suggest it to, you, to each of you listening and watching right now. If you come to church and you want to experience the move of the Holy Spirit, I want to say to you, get out of here. Go on, get out of here. Now, keep coming every week. But then go out and test what Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that the power of the Holy Spirit will do through you. Go out and testify. Go to your schools. Go to your doormates. Go to your classrooms. Go to the basketball courts. Go to the football fields. Go to your family gatherings. Talk to your neighbor. Go to the nation's. Go to this Philippine trip coming up. Go and put yourself in a position that might be uncomfortable, but out of your comfort zone where you are desperate and totally dependent on the Holy Spirit to do something in you and through you. Witness and testify to Jesus, and I promise you will experience the power of the Holy Spirit in ways he intended to empower you. You know, we uh, used to lead a bunch of mission trips to uh, Taiwan every year at my, my old church. And every year I'd go on these mission trips to Taiwan. And with every team that we formed, they always gave us these training sessions. And one of the training sessions always was on preparing your testimony. And they said, every team member, not just the leader, but every team member, prepare at least two stories of how you know God has been working in your life. How have you seen God in your life? And then in that session, we would sit there and we would share our stories. We would would ask questions. We would role play. And so everybody did it. We all did it because they said, hey, uh, who knows? You might meet somebody who just wants to know the reason for the hope that you have. So be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. And I'm thinking, we're just teaching little Taiwanese kids how to speak English but we did it. And so we prepared our testimonies. And I remember that one year we went to Taiwan and we met a lot of people that year. But this one particular Sunday, this guy, this Taiwanese guy, his name was Foster. And he goes to church for the first time. And I learned that he was invited to church because his professor knew that he was going through some really hard times with his family and Just feeling lost in life, trying to figure out what his career is supposed to be. And so he was actually in the midst of packing his bags and moving to Perth, Australia. This Taiwanese guy moving to Australia just because he wanted to get away from everything and just start fresh. Try to find a new life. But he came to church that Sunday and I started talking to him. and, And shortly into the conversation, it was clear that Foster was looking for hope. He needed hope. And he says to me, I kid you not, he says to me these words. He says, can you share with me any stories of how you know God is real? And I was like, uh, I might have one or two, right? I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. Now I got to make a confession. It is a thousand times easier for me to talk about Jesus on a stage in front of a thousand people than it is for me to talk to an individual on the street about Jesus. Some contexts are easier for me than others, and yet in that moment, I felt like the Holy Spirit was just reminding me of these stories that I prepared and using them in that moment. So we pull up two chairs, two folding chairs, and I love that Jamie from our team, she captured this moment. This is the very moment we are sitting there in that church, and I'm talking to Foster. And I start sharing these stories of God in my life, and then people from our team joined us they pulled up a chair and sat around and they start sharing and i got to tell you this these were normal college students they weren't full-time pastors they weren't full-time evangelists they were just normal college students like some of you guys some of them were sharing their faith for the first time in their life I was so, they're normal people. Some of them actually come to this church now. You could ask if you know Emily Yang or Deborah Liu or Mike Rao who attend. You'll see that they're just normal people. And yet their mouth was being opened and God was using them to share their story. So Foster's here and he's like listening and he's smiling and he's hanging on to everything we're saying. He didn't want it to end. So he says, hey, can I hang out with you guys this afternoon? So we go back to our apartment, and he hangs out at our apartment, and some of us continue to sit in a circle in our living room, just sharing one after another, just sharing how God has worked in our lives. And I say some of us were in that circle because some of the other team members were down the hall, and they were talking to this other Taiwanese friend that we met. Her name is Mona. And Mona was not a Christian, but she she was a Taiwanese friend who acted as our translator the year before on our past mission trip. She came back, she wanted to help again, and we've been praying for her all year. And that evening, as we were talking to Foster, some girls on our team were talking to Mona about how they know God is real. And so in the middle of us, in this deep moment with Foster, we're totally interrupted because there's this loud eruption of shouting and crying and laughing going on why because in that moment mona accepted jesus christ as her lord and her savior everybody started celebrating we turned the camera on and we captured that very moment so check out this video that moment here's baby greg check this out What's up? What's up, yeah, This is this such a uh, today. Well, first of all, this is an amazing night. If you check it out, yeah, Mona, like, yeah. one of our sisters, Mona, Mona just accepted Christ. Mona. Um, Mona. Uh, we've been praying for her all year, and she just she totally accepted Christ. So girls are there celebrating. Amen. Amen. Jamie um, is this, this is our, our 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 good friend Foster. <laughs> He's uh, next. Yeah. He he we you know he he was at church with us today and we got to really um, just talk with him about God and share with him about Jesus and I'm he, so happy he here He he's he feels he, he very happy. <laughs> can you introduce yourself to our friends back at church? Church? You can, he can yes. speak in Chinese <laughs> 真的, <laughs> <laughs> This was so important. This is Thank God! Excuse the bromance, but uh, the Holy Spirit (laughs) has some stuff in you sometimes. And it was such a joyous moment, and Foster really felt what was going on. You know, in Acts 2, I had you highlight it says that when the Holy Spirit came upon Pentecost, there's a mighty rushing wind. You know, the word pneuma in the Greek can be translated wind. Or it could be translated spirit. When we study the Holy Spirit, we call that pneumatology. They're both invisible, but you know its presence. And so the coming of the Holy Spirit was accompanied by this mighty rushing wind. I'll tell you this. Foster didn't want to go home that night. He, he wanted to stay with us. He wanted to hear more. So we talked into the night. The next morning, we all woke up. We had to get into the car to take one of the church members to the train station. And I kid you not, there in Taiwan, there was a mighty rushing wind. Literally a typhoon hit Taiwan. And so we're driving in this SUV, and our SUV is being tossed back and forth. Like there's a mighty rushing pneuma. And so we pull over the car. We stop on the side of the road, not because of the mighty rushing wind on the outside of the car, but there was a mightier pneuma moving on the inside of the car. Check out the next morning in Taiwan. Here's what happened. Talks What's up guys? Uh, here we're sitting in the back of a SUV in the middle of a typhoon. Uh, there's literally typhoon going on, but um, there's something even greater and more powerful. You can take typhoon <laughs> maybe God in <was> right? <laughs> but we're sitting back in the SUV. We're gonna take Pastor Cindy to the train station, but we had to stop the car because our brother Foster uh, who we who uh, we introduced yesterday, he just dis- confessed that he believes in Jesus, and that he is now a brother saved. Yeah! yeah we, were, we were praying for him yesterday, and we just had a lot of time to talk, and to, to pray with him, and he, he has opened his heart to the Lord. So, God is, God is in his life, so, amen! Amen! In the back of an SUV. In the middle of a typhoon. Thank, thank you, everyone, thank you. <laughs> Amen. Can we all praise God together for just moving in a person's life? You know, some of us can come and we gather and we feel very comfortable and confident in here, raising our hands and singing out loud during worship. We feel comfortable shouting an occasional amen to a biblical truth. We feel comfortable opening our hands as we pray in here. But then the moment we leave here, we go out there, there's this fear that can fill us because what will they say or what will they think about us? What might they do? What opportunities can we lose if I'm talking about my Jesus? And that's a normal feeling. I want to remind you that 2,000 years ago, there there were these Jewish guys from Galilee who were locked in a room. And it was the only place they felt comfortable about being open about their faith. But they locked themselves in a room because what might they do to us out there? They might kill us or crucify us just like they did to Jesus, our master. So they stayed huddled and locked in a room. But that was pre-Holy Spirit. That was before the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What happened soon after they found themselves locked in a room? They felt... The power of the Holy Spirit come upon them. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden what happens now, they became his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Like I said the last time I spoke, it is crazy to me that 2,000 years later, this American-born guy from a Chinese-speaking family in Torrance, California, is a recipient of the good news that these Hebrew and Greek-speaking band of brothers spread from that little town of Jerusalem. And from there, it went until it has reached the world. The Holy Spirit has come. And part of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to provide believers with power to proclaim. That's what he's sending us out to do. And that's what he has come to fill us to do. So that's the first thing. The baptism of the Holy Spirit provides believers with power to proclaim. Here's the second thing I want to show you. The baptism of the Holy Spirit identifies believers who belong to the body. So now I want to flip you over to Acts chapter 10, just a few chapters down. And this is the second instance of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So Peter, this Jew, who's now filled with the Holy Spirit, he's the one who denied Jesus three times in fearfulness. Remember that? Now in Acts 10, he's proclaiming Jesus to the Gentiles in fearlessness. He goes from fearfulness To fearlessness, what happened? The baptism of the Holy Spirit in his life. And so the Lord sets up this meeting between Peter, who's a Jew, and Cornelius, who's a Gentile, a non-Jew. And Cornelius actually invites Peter into his home. So Peter accepts the invitation, Peter walks into Cornelius' home, and right there, there's this big, huge elephant right there in the room the big elephant in the room, here's what it says in Acts 10, verse 28. And he said to them, Peter said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew like me to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation like you. In other words, here's the big elephant in the room and Peter needs to address it. I'm a Jew and you're not. And it is not normal for me to be in a house like yours When we've always seen you Gentiles as impure, sinful, unclean, unholy. I shouldn't be here right now. But God, he goes on. He says, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So Peter gets this elephant out of the way and he goes on to now start proclaiming the name of Jesus. And he just starts talking. If you look at it in Acts 10, it's not some nicely put together, eloquent, and sensational sermon. He just simply talks about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Like it's just the pure and simple gospel, nothing fancy. He's just saying, This is what Jesus did for you. And look what happens in Acts chapter 10, starting from verse 44. It says, While Peter, was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, that's the Jews, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them, the Gentiles, speaking in tongues and extolling God. And so, what's going on in this moment as Peter's trying to help them understand what Jesus did for you? Something happens in their heart. They start believing this, and the Holy Spirit sees the belief in their heart, and he comes upon them, and he fills them with his presence based off their faith. And then what happens after that? They start speaking in tongues, just like the Jews did at Pentecost. And then Peter declared, going on to verse 47, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Highlight that phrase, just as we have. I'm going to show you the importance of that phrase right there. See, because I I, I need to point out that some people will say that you're not truly spirit-filled unless you speak in tongues. That you don't experience a true baptism of the Holy Spirit unless you speak in tongues. And I'll say, because look, it happened to the Jews in Acts chapter 2, and it happened to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. That's true evidence that you have the spirit in you. In other words, that's true evidence that you're really saved. And I want to take a moment to address that dangerous teaching. And I'm calling it dangerous. I'm calling it what it is because it's unbiblical. You have to understand that in the book of Acts, what Peter describes here. And this story is descriptive and not prescriptive. We have to make that distinction. The book of Acts is a narrative. He's telling a story. He's saying what happened. But he's not instructing or commanding that this has to happen at all times for every believer everywhere. It's the difference between description and prescription. This is descriptive. He's saying what happened then and there. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues. But we go on later in the prescription in the New Testament, the teachings in the New Testament. And 1 Corinthians 12 says, not all will speak in tongues. Not all Christians will speak in tongues. Let me show you. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 29 starts like this. Paul says, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? And if you look in context, that's a rhetorical question. The implied answer is no, because we're not all prophets. We're not all teachers. We don't all do miracles, do we? He goes on in the same vein in verse 30. He says, do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? And the answer is the same implication, no. Not all of us have the same gifts. And so his point is not everybody will have the gift of tongues. So the question is, then why did the Gentiles there in Acts 10 receive the gift of tongues and why did the Jews at Pentecost receive the gift of tongues? Well, for one, we said it was purposeful to go and be witnesses. But secondly, it's very strategic. It's very strategic. There's a reason. Peter explains it in Acts 11, starting from verse 15. So flip one chapter over. It says this. Peter explains, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word the Lord had said. How, how John baptized with water, but he, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? So listen, don't miss the emphasis here. Sometimes we get it twisted, but what's the emphasis? He's saying that because the Holy Spirit came upon the Jews and the sign that he made his presence known was the gift of tongues, he's using strategically the same sign when he comes upon the Gentiles to show that the Holy Spirit has now come upon the Gentiles. In other words, this was a pivotal moment in all of history where God was declaring that my Holy Spirit that I am filling my Jews with is the same Holy Spirit that I want to fill my Gentiles with. He's saying, for God so loved the world that this gospel of grace, this gospel of salvation is no longer just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. And 1 Corinthians tells us this in verse 12, verse 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free. There's no line, there's no limit. All were made to drink of one Spirit. So understand that the second purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not so much to highlight this gift of tongues as it is to highlight the coming and presence of the Holy Spirit. He's the gift, He's what we're looking for, He's the main thing. Don't get it twisted. You have now the permanent presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You go to Joel chapter 2, that prophecy of the Spirit coming upon us. He says, you know, some will dream dreams. Some will have visions. Some will prophesy. Joel doesn't even mention tongues. Why? Because tongues is not the emphasis. The Holy Spirit upon you, his presence with you, that's the emphasis. He's the main thing. He's the one we're looking for. And the Holy Spirit will manifest his presence in whatever way he wants. Maybe through visions, maybe through dreams, maybe through tongues, maybe through your sharing, maybe through your evangelism, maybe through your teaching, whatever it is. But the Holy Spirit wants to make himself known in you and identify you as believing, as belonging to the body of Christ. He'll do it in whatever way he wants. He might give you. The gift to speak another language. But if you never speak another tongue and you have the spirit of God in you, he will make his presence known in one way or another. And people will see it. People will see it. A couple was visiting our church. They were first-time visitors to our church. And the service ended and I got to meet them in the lobby. And, you know, we're meeting each other. And mid-conversation, the husband stops me, and he says, you're a surfer. I'm like, that's creepy, right? Because I I didn't say anything about being a surfer in our conversation or in the message that I just preached. I'm like, this guy's stalking me for sure. Like, how did you know I'm a surfer? I I say, how do you know? And his wife goes, you got a crazy neck tan from your wetsuit. And the husband pulls down his collar. He says, I got the same one, bro. (laughs) I'm a surfer too, Right? Surfers have external evidence that reveals them as surfers. You look like a surfer, right, Randy? You look like a surfer, Stephen. We have things about us that identify us as being surfers. Surfers, over time, develop this thing in their ear called surfer's ear. I got it. You can look at my ear right now. And over time, if you're exposed to cold water long enough, you have this bone growth that grows in your ear canal. I got it. And I remember we, we found this new family doctor, and, you know, we, we had just met for the first time, never seen each other before. And so she's doing a standard checkup, and she's doing what she's got to do. And so one of the things is she looks and examines my ears, and she looks into my ears with her little tool. And the first thing she says, she goes, you're a surfer. I go, yep, you see my surfer's ear, huh? She goes, No, you still got sand in your ear. (laughs) I thought I got it out, but she said, and behind that I see your surfer's ear. It's no surprise to me that a surfer has external evidence that identifies him as a surfer. That's just who you are. And in the same way, a believer who belongs to the body of Christ, who has a spirit of God in them, they will display evidence that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You belong to the body, and that's what the Holy Spirit has come to do, to identify us as belonging to the body. And so he'll manifest his presence in you in some way or another. Maybe it's through the use of your unique gift, by the gift he's given you, a gift provided by the Spirit. Maybe it's through a life of repentance, Prompted by the Spirit. Maybe it's through good works that you never used to do, but that's being produced by the Spirit. Maybe you're proclaiming your testimony, your story in the power of the Spirit. But however he chooses to do it, the Holy Spirit, if he is in you, he will make his mark. He will identify you as you belong to Jesus. And he's part or she's part of the body of Christ few weeks ago we had a baptism here at the church right out here and so many people came to witness brothers and sisters getting dunked for the name of Jesus and you know I'll be honest like since the pandemic and our doors um, have opened back up there's a lot of people that I've never met before a lot of new people and a lot of them making decisions for Christ praise the Lord and I'll confess that I didn't meet some of these people I've never seen them until that day of the baptism and yet it's it's the family of Christ. So so we're brothers and sisters. And so we get to baptize each one of them, fully submerge them. They're covered with water and come out. They're glowing. And they climb out of the pool. And one by one, we baptized everybody um, in that baptism class. And then at the end, the pastors, we climb out of the pool. And I just wanted to go and congratulate those people we just baptized. But they're, they're lost in the crowd with family and friends. We literally had like almost a couple hundred people on the back, and they're just with their families and friends taking pictures. But I'll tell you this. It was so easy for me to look into the crowd and find each person. It was so easy to spot them and pick them out. You know how? They were drenched. They were soaked, Right? Hair is all wet. Their clothes are all dripping. They have this smile that lights up their face. It's so easy. You just, you are just in the pool. Congratulations. God bless you. Congratulations. God bless you. Because I'm telling you, if you've been physically baptized in water, you'll look like it. And church, if you've been spiritually baptized in the spirit, you'll look like it. And my prayer is that for everyone who's put their trust in Christ and the Spirit has come into your life, He's covered you and He fills you, that sooner or later, everyone around you will know it. Linsanity came and then went. That greatness on the court came and then went. But do you know what has remained? Jeremy Lynn's faith. Because even though he's no longer in the NBA, he still uses his platform to proclaim his faith in Christ. Here's something he tweeted. He posted this on his Twitter. He said this. I'm going to read it to you guys. He says, my favorite verse, my favorite verses ever, Romans 5, 3 to 5. Check it out. Check it out, y'all. So let's check it out. Romans chapter 5. Let's read it. I'll read it to you verse 5. It says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Who has been given to us. Friends, you have a great and mighty God living inside of you. And I pray that daily you would allow greatness to be put on display because greatness is here to stay in Jeremy Lynn, and in all who believe in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and let's... Let's respond and come before him in prayer. And I want to give you a moment. If you're a believer in Christ and you know you have the spirit of God in you, then I want to encourage you to talk to the Lord right now and say, God, thank you for your spirit in me. And I pray that it will be evident that I have a great God inside of me. Help me to do things that aren't natural to myself. I want me to speak and share God in my life. Take me out of here and let me be your witness. And as you're talking to the Lord, I want to now um, address those of you who are maybe new to church or maybe you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you to invite the Holy Spirit into your life as well. And the Bible says that happens once you put your faith in the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And three days later, he rose from the dead to give you new life. forgiven of everything you've ever done and never will do and you have a new life in Christ and the spirit of God comes to live in you to help you now live this new life. So if that's you and you want to make that, that invitation to the Lord, I'm going to encourage you to pray. Like this, And talk to God as if you're talking to God. I'll help you with the words. But a commitment of faith looks like this. Father God, thank you. I want to believe by faith in this moment today. And this day forward that Jesus Christ did die for my sins, as you say. And that he has forgiven me, as you say. And I'm believing by faith that he rose from the grave so that I could have new life. And so help me, Lord, now to live this new life the way you want me to live it. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I invite him into my life right now. And I pray that you would change me day after day. I know I won't change overnight, but help me go through this journey together with you. Thank you for loving me and for being in my life. And Father God, I just thank you for all who have made that decision. Lord, you're the reason why we sing. You're our King of kings. You're our Lord of lords. And we worship God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.